What is sin? It's a good question. There's no perfect definition to it. Sin is a moral, religious decision. I haven't really explored it for myself. To be honest with you, I don't know what sin is. I think it's a personal opinion. I'd say sin is what you feel. You know what I mean? If you feel that you done did wrong, then that's that's sin. You know? It's just bad. <laughs> sin In is bad. Doing something that you know is wrong. If you know that it's wrong, they know that it's that it's wrong. Sin is when you do something that you know is wrong. When you do something that's. Uh, Contrary to what you believe. Do you think that there are some sins that are worse than other sins? Is it all the same? Uh, yeah. Personally, I feel some sins are worse more than others. The quick answer is yes. My Catholic answer would be yes, there's mortal sins. And yeah, so, yeah. Tell me which ones are worse than the others. Um, I would think that killing somebody would be a worse sin than lying to your parents about something. Killing someone. Killing another man. Committing adultery. Theft. Uh, rape. Blasphemy. Blaspheme, that's what I would say. And sit there and say there's not a higher power. That's the ultimate sin. Killing people is worse. Yeah, it's a lot worse than telling a little white lie, I think. Uh, I don't know. If a sin is a sin, then it's a sin. Sin is sin no matter way. No matter how you look at it, sin is sin. You either sin or you don't sin. Is there any consequences for sin? I think so, yes. I don't know. I don't know about that. Yeah, it's called karma. It happens to us every day. I, I kind of feel in a karma that what comes around goes around. Whether right. it's a little slam the finger in the door or, or if it's a financial bind or whatever, you know what I mean? So if you do evil, it might not come back to you right away, but eventually it will. Is there any consequences for sin? I think so, yes. I think it affects the afterlife. In what way? Tell me a little bit about that. I don't think we can know. I don't believe in a heaven or hell, but I think it would be different for everybody. Consequences. That's not for me to perceive, or that's not for me to judge, really. Who am I to judge you for your sins, or, you know, for my, me for mine? I'm not here to judge who sins and who not sins, you know what I mean? Do you think you're a sinner? Uh, sure, sure. Uh, I don't think I'm up there in the... the worst sinners you know i feel there's some are worse than others i'm a sinner on little things but not big things i guess i am because i'm not perfect do you sin i'm sure i have yeah so everyone does it every once in a while do you sin i do um how often every day every week every day daily it's ridiculous but yeah i probably sin multiple times today every day i go to work every day i walk out the door are you sinning right now by any chance no is everyone a sinner I don't, I wouldn't know. Everybody has some kind of sin. We always wanted to sin, so we all sinners. Now, the problem is when you try to define sin. Americans were asked. This is a recent poll that was taken. And I want to show you how many Americans define these different things as sin. Look at this list that we've got up here. Adultery, 81%. Racism, 74%. Using hardcore drugs. And this would be like LSD. And you know they, they, they actually define hardcore drugs. 65% say that's a sin. Keep going. Uh, not saying anything if a cashier gives you too much change. That actually surprised me that 63% of Americans said that's a sin because most of us would go, hey, this is a blessing, not my fault. I didn't try to rip you off. <laughs> Having an abortion, 56%. Uh, homosexual activity or sex, 52%. Now, uh, hold on just a second. Well, that's right. Now, if you had asked America 50 years ago, do you think these would have been the same thing? 
No, a lot of these would have been much higher, but, but sin seems to be evolving in America. Let's keep going. Not reporting some income on your tax returns, 52%. Reading or watching pornography, 50%. Gossip, 47%. Next. Swearing, 46%. Sex before marriage, 45%. Homosexual thoughts, 44%. Sexual thoughts about someone you are not married to, 43%. Now, I think if you ask the spouse if the other person's having sexual thoughts about someone who's not you, I think that would go up real high. But anyway, that's not, that wasn't on the survey. Doing things as a consumer that harm the environment, 41%, and that seems to be rising. Smoking marijuana, that seems to be going down, the number who think that's a sin. Getting drunk, 41%. Next. Gambling, 30. Not attending church or religious services regularly, 18%. Drinking any alcohol, 14%. Now, if you, if you just look at how Americans define sin, it reminds me of that old uh, Peanuts cartoon where Charlie Brown is shooting his bow and arrow, and dude's just shooting everywhere. And wherever it lands, he goes up and he draws a bullseye. So that when someone walks by and they see Charlie Brown with his bow and arrow, they're going, dude, you're good. I think that's Americans' attitude towards sin. Because we'd say, oh, none of us would do that. We wouldn't, we wouldn't shoot and then draw it. We would actually shoot towards... No, I think we're making up our own rules... And we're hoping that God is like this big old grandfather in the sky who'll look down and go, Oh, that's close enough. Come on in. It's okay. You, you missed the mark, but, but that's okay. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about sins versus mistakes. And let's just start off by defining sin so that we can understand what it is. As defined in the original transcripts of the Bible, sin means to miss the mark. This is on your listening guide. Sin means to miss the mark. Okay, so what is the mark? If we have a bullseye that we're supposed to uh, aim at, what is that mark? Well, it's the, pers- it's the standard of perfection established by God and, and evidenced by the life that Jesus lived on this earth. So if you want to know what the standard is, the comparison, this one guy said, well, I'm not the worst sinner. And remember the girl said, well, I sin on little things but not on big things. Well, that's not the comparison. The comparison is Jesus. Jesus never sinned. So don't compare yourself to me, to anyone else. Compare yourself to Jesus, and that gives you a clear picture of who we are. So what we as humans tend to do is change the target all the time. We define it ourselves, and then we hope God will, will just kind of wink at us. But if we're intellectually honest enough to admit something today, we'll admit that we're just making things up and we're hoping for the best. What we do every week is we try to look at God's Word. We try to look at us as humans and the condition that we're in, which seems to be deteriorating. <laughs> if, if things evolve and get better, human race is getting worse. So what does that say about us? You know, we're not evolving into things better. We're getting worse as time goes by. America is getting worse as time goes by. We talk about this condition that humans have, and then we open up God's Word and we say, what does God have to say about it? Because this does not change. What does God have to say? Look at Romans 3.23. How many have sinned? Say that with conviction. How many have sinned? So let's just, let's just make sure. How many of you have sinned? Okay, I think that's everybody. You're wise this week. You, you wised up. Sometimes y'all don't answer me. Now, that nasty little word, sin, we don't like that word because you know what sin means? Sin means I did it on purpose. Sin means it was willful. It means I was wrong. I knew it was wrong when I did it. I did it anyway. And uh, it doesn't make me feel good about myself. In fact, if I commit sins, then after a while, I begin to think I'm not a very good person And I don't like that, so we don't use that word. Here's a word that we like better. Mistake. Let's define mistake. I didn't sin, I just made a mistake. 
A mistake is an error in action, calculation, opinion, or judgment caused by poor reasoning. Okay, let me give you some examples. Oh, I just wasn't thinking straight. That's the poor reasoning excuse. Here's the mistake of carelessness. Oh, I didn't see that. I stepped on your foot. I tripped over that. I hit that. Oh, I didn't see it. That's, that's just carelessness. Um, the mistake of insufficient knowledge. Well, I didn't know that was the law. <laughs> Does that work when you're speeding? I didn't know I was speeding. I didn't know any better. And this is a much better word because then when you catch me doing something wrong, I can just say, oh, my bad, my mistake, my mistake. And if you're having this argument with your spouse or your parents or your friends and it gets kind of forceful and heated, you can just say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, okay, I made a mistake. Is it so bad? Is it the end of the world? Can't we just move on? Try that one on for size. I made a mistake. Nobody's perfect. Come on, give me a break. And the assumption is, if I made a mistake, you can't be real mad at me because I couldn't help it. I made a mistake. I didn't know any better. There's a huge difference between sins and mistakes. A mistake, I don't really have to ask you to forgive me because it was a mistake. Get over it. But if it's a sin, that seems to indicate that there's a flaw deep down inside of me that I can't make better. And, and really, the, the biggest difference between sins and mistakes, if everything I can do can be dumbed down into a mistake, that makes me a, a mistaker, which means I don't have any sin. If I don't have any sin, I'm not a sinner. If I'm not a senior, sinner, I don't need a Savior. If you're a mistaker, then all you have to do is do better. Mistakers try harder, kind of like Avis. Mistakers just have to break a little nasty habit. Mistakers just have to be more consistent. Try harder next time. If I'm a sinner, though, trying harder is not enough. It's not going to get the job done because if I'm a sinner and I can't pay for my sin, that means I owe somebody something. That means there's probably some stuff I don't even want to know about that I have to pay and I can't pay and, and I don't want to think about that because if I'm a sinner, trying harder is not good enough. If I'm a sinner... I need a savior. Now, you may be able to convince me that you've made a mistake. Okay, okay, you made a mistake. Let's, let's get over it and move on. You might be able to convince me that you're a mistaker. But the truth is, when you're alone in the dark, when the TV's off and there's no music playing, when you are doing some soul searching, you know you're not a mistaker. I know I'm not a mistaker. I'm a sinner. And, and you know that it was intentional. You did it on purpose. You just didn't think you'd get caught. Not only did you do it on purpose, you've done it before. And not only have you done it before, you're hoping that you can do it again. And when somebody sees it and brings it to your attention, you were able to pass it off as, as just a mistake. But you know in your heart that it was not unintentional. It was premeditated. It wasn't because of poor reasoning. It wasn't because of carelessness. It wasn't because of insufficient knowledge. You knew exactly what you were doing. It wasn't a mistake. And you'll do it again if you have the opportunity. That seems to me to be way deeper than just a mistake. Now, it was into this world, this way of thinking of mistakers that Jesus showed up on the scene. There were these religious thinkers who were kind of teaching that, that um, we really just mess up. It, it's not really sin. And Jesus comes to this, this whole mindset of mistakers and he teaches three ideas that do not seem like they ought to come out of the same mouth. Idea number one, Jesus comes in and he says, you're terrible. Wait a minute, didn't you say Jesus is love? We'll get to that in a minute. 
He came along and He made everybody feel worse about themselves. He came into this environment where people had dumbed down God's law and they were saying, it's not hard to be godly. It's not hard to be righteous. You just follow a few rules and God has to show you favor because you earn His favor. And Jesus shows up and He says, no, the bar is not down here where everybody can get over. The, the bar is way up here. He raises the standard and He goes, no, you got it wrong. You, it's worse than you thought. You, you thought you were bad. You're terrible. You, you thought you were righteous. You're not righteous. And then He says, nobody's good enough to earn God's favor. And then, idea number two, just out of, out of the same mouth, the next breath He says, and God loves you. God loves you the way you are. God loves you. And the people are confused because they've never heard anything like this. And they go, which one is it? Either, either I'm terrible or God loves me. And Jesus goes, both. You're terrible. You're worse than you ever really thought. You're a sinner and you have no hope. And God loves you more than you can possibly imagine. And this was so strange to people. You see, the people that, that Jesus was around, the, the people who were mistakers, they didn't like Jesus because He made them feel bad about themselves. But people who knew in their gut that they were sinners loved to be around Jesus because they were honest enough to look in the mirror and say, you know, there's something really wrong with me. I'm, I'm, he's right. I'm worse than I thought. And there's I, just trying harder is not getting the job done. I, I don't need people to think I'm a mistaker. I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Those people loved to hang out with Jesus. So it's into this kind of mindset that Jesus comes and, dude, does He stir the pot. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along with this, this is in uh, Matthew chapter 5, and this is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 through 7 is His most famous sermon. It's three chapters long. We're going to look at a good section of Jesus' most famous sermon ever. And it starts in verse 17. And Jesus says, Don't misunderstand why I've come. So right here, kind of at the beginning of His ministry... He says, I, I want to declare up front why I'm here. And then he says, I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to fulfill them. So Jesus says, if you think I'm trying to start something new here, no, you're dead wrong. I'm not going to do away with God's laws. In, in fact, I came to fulfill every law. And he's talking about the Old Testament here because that's all that was written down. The New Testament wasn't written yet. The New Testament is about Jesus and then the church that starts after Jesus was on this earth. So the only thing he's talking about is the Old Testament. He says, don't think for a minute I've come to start something new. I've come to not only fulfill everything that's been taught to you, but I'm going to raise the bar higher than you ever imagined. And so he says, uh, if you skip down to verse... 19, if you break the smallest commandment, again, he's talking about the Old Testament, if you break the smallest commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus is preparing them for what he's about to say. I'm not dumbing it down. I'm raising it to a new level. And if you're going to follow me, you've got to go to this new level. And then, dude, does he raise it to a level? And you're going to see why in just a minute. Verse 20. But I warn you, unless you obey God better than the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees do, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven at all. Okay, professionals, the, the, the writers of uh, religious law, that's the scribes, if you've been to Sunday school or vacation Bible school back in the day, the scribes were the ones who, who wrote out and, and they kind of translated the law. And the Pharisees, they were the religious leaders. These were the, the best of the best when it came to following the rules. And Jesus says to these people... Unless you are better than they are, you'll never sniff the kingdom of heaven, much less see it. And they're like, oh, no, the most religious people we know. You're saying, Jesus, they're not going to make it into heaven. We thought they were righteous. And Jesus says they're posers. They're posers and they're going to bust hell wide open 
because they think it's about religion and it's not about religion. They're not going to make it to heaven. So, dude, that just blew everybody's minds. If the religious people, if the ones who are professionals at religion, if they can't make it to heaven, who can make it? And, and then, well, he's letting that settle in their minds. Jesus gives them some very specific examples of how we're not mistakers, we're sinners. Verse 21. You've heard that the law of Moses says, do not murder. Everyone there was a Jew that was listening to Jesus. Everyone there was a Jew. And you got to understand, the culture of the Jews is from, from birth until about six or seven years old, the child hung out with mom. And she taught him the Scriptures. They would memorize the Ten Commandments. They would memorize, actually, most of the Old Testament. And you could just rattle those things off at about six or seven. They would go and they would hang out with Dad the rest of their time until they became adults. And Dad would teach them a trade. So these were people who knew the Ten Commandments. When Jesus says, you've heard that it said in the Law of Moses, they're going, oh yeah, Law of Moses. And then he says, do not um, commit murder. And they're like, oh yeah, thou shalt not. One of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder. And, and they're all going, hmm, I've never killed anyone. So they kind of stick out their chest and they're like, sweet, I'm smoking. Tell me something, I don't know, Jesus, I've never killed anybody. And Jesus says, check this out. But I say, if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out, big fella. You're saying to me that if I'm angry about somebody, you're actually equating that with murdering someone? Just just thinking about murdering them? Because, be honest, you've thought about murdering someone. You just didn't act on it because you didn't want to get caught. And, and you knew it was wrong, but you thought about murdering somebody. And, and Jesus says, my anger, uh, or they say, my anger towards them makes me guilty. I don't even have to do anything to be guilty before God. Oh, I'm in trouble. And Jesus goes, see, I'm raising the bar. I didn't come to abolish that. I came to raise the bar. So their heads are spinning. He goes on. And he jacks up every man who's ever walked the planet. Matthew 5, 27. You've heard that the law of Moses says, do not commit adultery. And they're like, oh, okay, back to the Ten Commandments. We know these. Adultery, bad. I've never committed adultery. I'm good. And Jesus says, but I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust in his eyes has already committed adultery with her in, in his heart. Okay, that's it. We're leaving. Um, Jesus, you've just called us, well, not me, but all my buddies. You've, you've called them adulterers. Uh, we can't have that. You've just called every man who ever looked lustfully on a woman an adulterer. Come on, Jesus. I get thou shalt not commit adultery because that's, that's due. Don't do something. But Jesus, every man who's ever walked the planet at some time of his life has looked at a woman and gone, wow. And, and well, adultery in your mind is more than just Wow. It's dwelling on that thought. And, and so, oh man, do you realize, Jesus, all men are condemned. Can we take you seriously? Who can be that good? Who could be that righteous? Who could live their whole life as a man and never look woman at a woman lustfully? If that's the standard, nobody's going to get into heaven. If that's the standard of righteousness, God, God's going to be in heaven by Himself because nobody is that good. And Jesus says, I'm not done. Keep your pins out. Skip down to verse 43 and 44. You have heard that the law of Moses says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Oh, I don't even want to know what he's going to say next. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Mine's twisting. I don't even pray for people I like. I don't pray at all. If you look at my prayer life, Jesus, ah, this hurts. 
God expects me to pray for my enemies, to pray for people who are mean to me. That's the standard. That's righteousness. That's what God gets excited about. You tell me I'm a murderer because I've been angry. You tell me I'm an adulterer because I have lustful thoughts. And basically, I'll never please God because I don't love my enemies. That's what it takes to be righteous. Good grief. There's nobody righteous but but God. And that's idea number three. Only God is righteous. And Jesus smiles and He goes, now you get it. That's my point. And Jesus is saying to all these people, you came to this sermon thinking that you were just mistakers who need to do better? And Jesus says, I'm here to convince you you're a sinner and there's no hope for you. And if it depends on your efforts or your righteousness, hell is your destination. And the amazing thing is that throughout the New Testament, when Jesus walked on the earth, the people who were the most convinced that they fell into this category of I can't do it on my own flocked to Jesus. They were nothing like Him and they liked to be around Jesus. The tax gatherers, the prostitutes, the men and women who were condemned by society as being outright sinners, they loved to be with Jesus because He had these two messages. Message number one, you're terrible. There is no hope for you. Message number two, God loves you. Message number one, you're hopelessly lost. Message number two, Jesus says, God sent me to save you, to find you. And until you embrace the fact that you're a sinner, you are not open to embracing the fact that you need a Savior. As long as you're a mistaker, you're going to try harder and you, you actually have to come to grips with that fact that no, you don't accidentally do things, that there's something fundamentally wrong with you and me. Until you embrace the fact that you are a sinner, you don't need a Savior. Now, back to this verse that, that we saw on the video and that, that I started um, with Romans 3.23 you got to fast forward a number of years. Jesus is no longer here. We're, we're out of the first four books of the New Testament, which is about the life of Jesus. And you get to Acts and then Romans. Um, in Romans, it was written by Paul. Paul originally was somebody who was against... It, they called him Saul at this time. He was against Christianity. He persecuted Christians, had them put to death, thrown in, in jail, because he, he didn't like Christians. He has this experience where he realizes he's a sinner, that his righteousness is not enough. And he becomes a follower of Christ. Not only that, he writes half of the books of the New Testament. I'd say that's a dramatic change. Drastic and dramatic is dramatic. That's good. Um, he has this change and he writes in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standards. So he's saying none of us, he's saying I'm agreeing with Jesus. The bar is too high. None of us can get there. And, and you would expect the next verse to say, every other religion in the world says something like this. You would expect the next verse, verse 24, to say something like, and boy, is God ticked off. God is going to kick your rear. There are thunderbolts and lightning in your future because you've screwed up. And look what verse 24 says. Yet now God in His gracious kindness declares us not guilty. He has done this through Christ Jesus, who has freed us by taking away our sins. This is huge because as, as long as I'm making mistakes, then I can make up for my mistakes. But when it comes to sin, I know there is no way I can undo my sin. I can't pay for them. Um, and, and when I'm honest, I know that there's restoration that needs to be made. I know that there's some sacrifice that I need to make in order for God to accept me. And uh, the sinner says to God, I've sinned and I don't deserve your love. You remember a few weeks ago, we, we were in our Blockbuster series and we did the Passion of the Christ. And there were two 
thieves on either one on either side of Jesus and they both were making fun of him but somewhere in the course of dying the one thief turns to Jesus and he says I deserve what I'm getting but you're righteous and and all he says is will you remember me and Jesus says today you'll be with me in paradise somewhere hanging on the cross that sinner said oh, I get it I need what you do Jesus so the sinner says I've sinned and I don't deserve your love one who admits his sin says, I can't pay God. And God says, yep, you're right, you're broke. You cannot be good enough to make a payment. Okay, so now what? Verse 25. For God sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger against us. We are made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood, sacrificing his life for us. Mistakers are all about trusting in self to get it right. Sinners... No. They realize I can't. I, I don't need to do better. I don't need some cheerleader or, or a motivational speaker. I need a Savior. And you become a Christian the moment you realize you're a sinner and you say, God, I've messed up and I need what Jesus did. I need Jesus to be my Savior. And what you do is you transfer your confidence in yourself. Mistakers have confidence in themselves. Sinners say, no, my confidence is in Jesus. You transfer what you have confidence in from yourself to Jesus Christ on the cross. And you say, I'm now placing all my weight, all my trust in what you did on my behalf. As a sinner, I realize there's nothing I can do to make up for what I've done wrong. And what I did wrong was not simply a mistake. I've sinned, and now I'm placing all my faith and all my trust in what Christ Jesus did on my behalf. I believe when He died on the cross... He was not a sacrifice for my mistakes. He was a sacrifice for my sin. And that's why the sooner you embrace the fact that you're a sinner, the sooner you're enabled to, to accept God's grace toward you. The sooner you're able to experience His forgiveness, the sooner you're able to engage in a relationship, not a religion, with Jesus Christ. Relationship determines how you live this life and your relationship to Jesus Christ determines where you end up in the afterlife. My heart breaks for those people who are asked about sin, karma, and all of this stuff. That's rampant in our world. And the clear teaching of Scripture is we're sinners. We're hopeless. We're terrible. But God loves us. And so He wants us to accept His gift.